we are not seeking to manufacture a religious experience in this place. What we are trying to do here is we are seeking the real presence of God. We desire to be in the presence of the Lord and to be changed by being in the presence of the Lord. Every single person in scripture that has an encounter with the living God is changed by the Lord God. They do not walk away the same as they came. And that's what we desire each week. We believe there's something special about God's people gathering together and seeking his face. And that when we seek the Lord together, that the Lord will bless us and that he will honor our calling out to him. We long to be changed, to be transformed, as I prayed, by the renewing of our minds through the understanding of God's word. That through understanding who God is, that we might go out and live for him. That we would be doers of God's word. And going out into the world, that we might be like light and darkness. That we might have the fruits of God's spirit born in our lives. And then it might be clear that we love the Lord our God. And that we serve him not out of some great oppressive sense of duty, but out of love and out of joy. And we have before us this morning an example of such devotion. As Steve mentioned to us this morning, the example of Daniel is one of great and total devotion. And these examples of devotion are recorded for us in the Bible that they might be examples for us, that we might walk in the way that others have walked before us. So this morning, we're going to read and look at the last narrative passage of Daniel's life. We're going to have some chapters of, of prophecy, which is important. It, this, this life of devotion was not just about him doing good deeds, but it, it, in his nearness to God, God spoke to him and revealed things to him in a way that he did not to others. And when you are more and more near to God, you will find that the Lord reveals things to you or speaks to you in a way that he did not when you only casually came to him. Because those who seek him will find him when they seek him with all of their heart. And so this morning, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, a story that maybe you've heard many times as a child, but there are so many important details to this story that as adults, we need to study carefully. So please stand with me this morning as we read. We're going to read all of Daniel chapter 6 in this story, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, as much distressed, set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement and said to the king, Now, O king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den... Where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, and the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, mouth, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. What a great story. One of the great stories of the Bible. As kings and empires cycle through the life of Daniel, God keeps preserving him and putting him in a place of favor. Uh, there's some seats down front, folks, sorry. Or you can uh, scoot in over here. Um, 
God keeps putting him in a place of favor. You ask, how is it that he keeps finding a place? Well, he doesn't keep finding a place. God keeps putting him in a place. And the Lord does this with his people. He finds a place for them and puts them exactly where he wants them so that they might be the people that he would have for them to be. And so in this reign of Darius, the Lord has Daniel as one of the three high officials, one of the three main deputies over the entire kingdom. And there are lesser officials under him. It makes it very clear that they are accountable to Daniel. And that Daniel is acting in a way that is for the good of the king. He is not there preserving himself or making his own way. He is serving the king with a true and authentic heart to preserve and profit his authority. And I think it's very important that we look at this example because this is an important example of what it means to submit to ruling authorities, but also obedience, final obedience to God, and what these two things look like. Because we are constantly living in a life like Daniel, where we must be under the obedience of those that rule in us over authority, and yet we must have final obedience to God. And so there are a number of New Testament passages that also flesh out this same thing. I'm going to read for us from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. A very clear passage on honoring governing authorities. At the end, the emperor. The emperor of Rome was never a godly person, never a person that was authentically or truly, you could, we can debate some about Augustine, but even then, uh, a mixed situation, and not when this was written. And Daniel is not serving a godly king. He's serving someone that, that throws him to the lions, literally, uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't uh, follow after the rules that he has set for him. And yet in the midst of these things, it's interesting, even when Daniel calls out from the lion's den after his deliverance, he reminds him that I have done nothing to harm you. I have done nothing against you. In all of this, he was not a rebel against Darius. He walked this fine line of serving the people that were in authority over him and doing it with a true heart and for their good, while also and always submitting to the final authority of the Lord our God. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we have the most well-known verse, the most clear statement on this, when Peter is called before, and the apostles, called before the ruling council of the Jews who command them to stop preaching the gospel. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. So when there is a final conflict between the things of God and the things of man, we must always follow after the commands of the Lord. But I think it's careful, and it's something that we should pray for in wisdom, that we do not confuse our own personal preferences with the things that God has commanded. We must be clear. We must be able to stand upon biblical command and biblical precedent to say, the Lord has commanded that I do and live this way. And we see this in this passage today. He is going to be commanded to do something that violates the first of the Ten Commandments of God. 
And he's going to have to choose between authority. And he always chooses God's authority. And it must be the same with us. But I think we are naive if we don't think that we are going to constantly be living under the tension of these two authorities and having to hash out how it is that we are to live even this week under the authorities in our lives. Well, Daniel is distinguished. He's doing well. The Lord is blessing him and giving him wisdom and furthering what he's doing, and word gets out that the king is getting ready to make him the chief of staff. He's getting ready to be the one that's in charge of everything, and everyone is going to submit to him. But he's a foreigner, and he's an exile. It keeps coming up over and over in these stories that people remind them you're an exile. You don't belong here. You're a foreigner. And he's getting ready to be put in charge of all these different lords and rulers, and they don't like it. And it should be, we should note here, because this is important, that Daniel's good at his job. Why does it matter that Daniel's good at his job? Well, it matters that Daniel's good at his job because if a person is openly godly, but they're terrible at their job and they're a lazy complainer, it does not result in being a good witness. And I think every one of us has an example that comes to your mind immediately when I say this. Someone that goes about all the time talking about the Lord, but is a terrible worker and is not good at their job and they're intentionally lazy or whatever it may be and they result in a bad witness because it does not show well as to who the Lord is and what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. But when a person is openly godly and good at their work, it creates another problem because they stand out as different and it creates a jealousy and it tends to put a target on your back just as it happens with Daniel here. But in this, it is not Daniel's fault. It's, the, it's that they do not like the fact that he is a godly person and stands apart from them. And so their jealousy is even further inflamed by him. But I would challenge you that in the work that God has given to you, whatever it may be, that you do it well and with all your heart and that you do it as unto the Lord so that the work that you do is not a stumbling block to the witness in the words of your mouth. And so his fellow high officials come together to bring him down. And no peccadillo will do. They're looking for a great October surprise, some type of a shame that will just bring him down. That Right at the moment where he's getting ready to be exalted into a higher position, they bring out some terrible thing that undermines him and discredits him and brings him out of his position instead of putting him into a position. And we know about this. This happens every political cycle where opponents go and work as hard as they can to dig up dirt on the other guy. And what they're looking for is something that will shame that person, some secret drug habit, some prostitute, some bribery, something that will show that the life of this person is not authentic, that what this person says they are is not who they actually are, and that they're actually fake, and that they can't be trusted. And that is exactly what these people are looking for in the life of Daniel. So they all get together, and they all start digging and digging and digging. But what do they find? They find nothing. They find that he is above reproach. And that is a powerful and extremely important statement. What does it mean to be above reproach? What, it doesn't mean that a person's perfect. Daniel was not perfect. He was a sinner like all of us are. Now, what it does mean is that no major accusation would stick to his life. And that when someone came and, and accused him of some secret habit or some terrible thing, it wouldn't stick because there was no proof of it. It was foolishness. It could be proven false. That Daniel was authentic in who he claimed to be. That he was the real deal. 
And we must understand that in the church today, this is still of tremendous and direct application. Because when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, and there are, there are uh, qualifications of the overseers or the elders of a church, the first qualification is that a person must be above reproach. And it doesn't mean that that person is without sin. None of the elders of this church or any church are without sin. But what it must mean is that the key leaders of a church are authentically godly people. And they are true and true in their heart and the way that they serve the Lord. And that there's no terrible hidden thing that can be brought out about them that's going to shame the church or discredit the name of Jesus Christ. And we follow in this way after the example of Daniel. And I put this before you as a challenge because I think it is right and good, because it says it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He who desires to be an overseer in the church desires a noble thing. It is right and good, especially for you young men, to desire to be an overseer, to be a leader in the church. And if you're going to be a leader in the church, you have to be an authentically godly person. Your heart has to not be divided by some terrible sin that will bring shame upon Christ Jesus, but following after the example of Daniel and living a life that is above reproach. And so like Daniel, the overseers and the elders of a church must be above reproach. In verses 6 through 9, we have the plan. So these guys get together and they figure out the only way we're going to be able to undermine Daniel is by coming at him because of his religion and the way that he worships God. So how can we do this? And it is a conspiracy, clearly. In re-studying this passage, it just jumped out to me more than it ever has before, the conspiratorial nature of this, that this was a large group of governing officials that were getting together to get rid of Daniel. And so they want to entrap him by convincing the king to pass a law that they know he will not break, and then they can come back to the king by emphasizing over and over again, you can't change the law. Now remember, you can't change that law. You've got to enforce that law, or you're going to be seen as an empty-seated ruler. And so they come up with a plan that will cause Daniel to violate the most important of his commands, the first, you shall have no other gods before me. So in verses six, it says, in verse six and seven, it says this, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to them, O king Darius, live forever. And all the officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors agree that the king should pass this law. And so they come and appeal to the king by pride. They're appealing to the pride of a, of a powerful man. Listen, just, just for a month, let's make this rule. Everybody's got to pray and bow down to you. And if anybody doesn't do that, then they're going to be thrown in this lion's den. And he's probably thinking, well, you know, who's going who's gonna to enforce this? Or this, is, this sounds great. Like a month where everybody worships me month, that's a, that's a great month. And let, let's do that. And that sounds like a good idea. Being unwise and not considering, well, hold on, my, my chief deputy is a devout person. And this is going to be a serious problem for him. But he's not concerned about that in the moment. And so he goes along with these folks, signs this thing into law because they are calculating against him. They, don't have, they, they get it signed into official law, just like our, similar, I should say, to our laws. Once we have an official law, someone can't just go back and just undo the law. So in a similar way, it was back then as well. And so what is the response and I think it's interesting, I, and it doesn't say it here, but there is no record here of Daniel appealing to this king, which he could have, but it doesn't seem that he does. 
which is interesting because that means he entrusts himself to God. He gives his concerns to God. But we do know in verse 10, it says, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, which means what? It's a done deal. Like what's, It's official. We all go through struggles in our life like that. Where we're not quite sure how things are going to work out. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and then there comes a time where it's final. Something's either happened one way or the other. Now it's happened. The thing has been signed. And so what does he do? He goes to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. We have a beautiful, beautiful picture here of devotion. That Daniel goes to his house where he prays three times daily. He makes time in a regular pattern three times each day to pray. And how does he pray? In his upper room, he has these windows that are open towards Jerusalem. And it's so important that we remember that he was a person in exile, longing for and hoping for, as we will see in coming weeks, the prophecy of Jeremiah to be fulfilled. That in a period of time, the nation of Israel would be restored and that God's grace would come back to his people and bring them back to the place that they had been cast out of. And so he is literally praying for this, hoping in God. And I believe, because it's the same for me and for you, there are certain places and things that help us to pray, help us to be undistracted in our prayers. And his windows open and his face facing towards the hope of the restored land helps him to pray. And so he has a personal relationship with God. This is not some religious rite that he goes through three times a day. This is a personal relationship with God, a life of devotion to the Lord God as a high governing official, still seeking God by prayer as an old man, and still seeking God as a high governing official, hoping in God for the promised restoration of Israel and entrusting himself to God. I'd like to point out five things about the devotional life of Daniel. Five things that I think are important and should be a part of our lives as well when we are seeking after the Lord in a devotional way. First, that it's regular, which means it's based on routine. Routine can become something that sucks the life out of things. However, we are also creatures that that thrive on certain routines. We know that when we get up and go to bed at a different time every day and something different happens every day, it's just chaotic. And it's very difficult to have a, a, a feeling of pattern and of rest in your life. And I would say that the most important routine and pattern of your life is the pattern by which you come towards the Lord. And that you should have a regular routine for how it is that you come before the Lord. And it will help you be more constant, which is the second thing. Daniel's devotional life is regular and it is constant, which means it doesn't just have a pattern during the day, but it's every day, day after day after day after day. And so he has a pattern for how he comes to the Lord, and he is devout and constantly coming to the Lord by that pattern, which means that Just as then, as is needed now, he takes hold of his day and shapes his day around what it means to be with the Lord. The first portion of his day, the looking at his day as to what is going to happen, begins with how he is going to be near the Lord and make time for the Lord in his day. The third part of Daniel's devotional life is that it is authentic. I think some people look at this passage in this open window thing as a show. 
that he's going to, oh, he's going to open his windows now so everybody can see him, and he's going to sort of shake his fist at these people. Look, I'm still serving God, and you can't do anything about it. I don't think that has any, I don't think that it is all what is going on here. I think Daniel is deeply authentic in his godliness, and for a long time before this was ever an issue, he had his windows open to Jerusalem, asking God to restore the people of Israel, and that his hope was in God. And we these people know about his godliness because his godliness is authentic. Which brings us to the last two things, is that Daniel's devotional life is not only regular and constant and authentic, it is courageous. It's courageous in that he does not hide himself. Every single one of us have had an occasion like that in our life, where in the midst of either prayer or reading our Bible, someone comes in and 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 breaks that time and one of two things is going to happen you're either going to close your bible up real quick and sit up with, hey how, how you doing you know and act like nothing was going on and it, it just as if god wasn't there you were embarrassed of this person that you were spending time with or they're going to enter into that see that and and that other person will say oh excuse me let me back out as if they were interrupting important time with another person, which is what normally happens when a person comes in and interrupts you spending time with another person. And so Daniel was courageous. Why He could have just held off his prayers for a month and said, you know what, I'll just, I'm busy this month, God. My schedule's looking really tight. Like I've got a lot of government affairs going on. I'm getting ready to be promoted. I think I'm just going to hold off on this prayer thing for a month, and we'll get back to it next month. But he doesn't do that. His first response is actually to go and get on his knees because that's what he's used to doing, is taking his burdens and his concerns and his cares to the Lord. And so he is courageous and not stopping his devotional life with the Lord. And fifthly, and something of tremendous importance to this passage, is that Daniel's devotional life squarely associates him with the God of Israel. His devotional life squarely associates him with the God of Israel. These people have no mistake about Daniel and who he stands for and who he stands with. This was something that was made powerfully, uh, I was made powerfully aware of in my own life that I needed to fix something early on in my time where I work. And I was at the copy machine and a person came up behind me and, and said, hey, are you a Mormon? And I I almost fell down. I was like, oh, wh what? N no, I'm not a Mormon. What, why would you say that? What, what, what has gone wrong? Like, what is, why would you say that? And they said, because you're a very moral person. So I just assumed you were a Mormon. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And I was like, oh, no, I, I, but I am a Christian. I am not a Mormon. I'm a Christian. And I, I'm, I'm a moral person because I'm a follower of Christ. And where I work, there are a lot of Mormons because you have to be a moral person to work there. And Mormons are very moral people for totally different reasons than we are moral people. Let me say that, but we're not going to go down that sidetrack today. But the point of this story is this. The way in which we live our lives should squarely associate us with Jesus Christ. That we should be people who are known as Christians. And if the people around you just think, wow, you know, she's a great woman, or that, that guy's a great guy, and they just think you're a great person. And so maybe, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more like that person because they're a great person. And they see nothing of Jesus in your life, there's a problem. 
Daniel was squarely associated with the Lord his God. And they knew if they were going to get at him, the only way they're going to get at him is by going after his faith in the Lord God. And so I encourage you to examine your devotional life and how it carries over into your work life. And going back to this being good at what you do, but being an obvious Christian at the same time. A winsome Christian, a humble Christian, a kind and generous Christian, but fusing those two things together. And I don't know what your work life is like, and it can be many different things. And how those two things fuse together is going to be a little bit different for every single person in this audience. But I can tell you there's a way for those two things to come together to where you can do very well at your work and honor the Lord your God. And so be known as a Christian through your devotional life. But Daniel comes in verse 10, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays. And what does it say? Let's look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and did what? Gave thanks. Don't miss that, folks. That is, that's really powerful. There's not a lot to give thanks about in this situation. You're getting ready to be executed tomorrow. So let's, let's kneel down and let's give thanks. But this is not a new thing. And this is not something that goes away. This is something that is directly instructed to us by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. They're the things that cause you to be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. And that's what happens to Daniel. He takes his anxieties, and he gets down on his knees, and he gives them to the Lord. And says, Lord God, I'm going to give you these anxieties because this is too great for me. If I'm going to be fed to the lions tomorrow, then, then help me. Give me the strength that I need. There have been many a Christian person facing some great trial or struggle that has gotten down on their knees and given their anxieties and their struggles and their trials to the Lord. And in giving those things to the Lord, the Lord then gives peace. A peace which surpasses understanding. Which means you can't explain it to somebody else. All you can say is, I don't know, I gave my burdens to the Lord, and he gave me peace in return. And I, here I am before you in peace, that your heart and mind might be guarded by Christ Jesus. Because we know that no matter what circumstance we're in, if our heart and our mind is guarded by Christ Jesus in such a way that we have peace, we can walk through the issues of life uh, without being weighed down, because our burden has been taken away by the Lord. And so Daniel entrusts himself to God. And as he entrusts himself to God, these officials who are waiting for him see him at his window and see him praying, and they rat him out immediately. They're waiting for it to happen. I imagine this happens on day one of this uh, injunction, that they go straight to the king. King, king, listen, there's somebody that's, that's not keeping your, keeping your injunction here. It's Daniel. And uh, we just want to remind you that this is signed law here, and if you're really the king, and if you want to be seen as the king, you need to keep the law, because what kind of king doesn't keep the law? And they go after him about keeping what he has just signed. And the scriptures talk about Darius working and being distressed in verse 14, trying to deliver Daniel. My understanding of this is exactly what happens with powerful people in our day and age as well. 
It's them looking at the situation and thinking about what kind of social capital they're going to have to expend to undo this situation and whether it's really worth sticking their neck out for this person or not. And if I weigh this and if I stick my neck out for this guy and this happens and that happens and like, ah, I don't know, you know, maybe this is worth it, maybe it's not worth it, and Daniel's not worth it to him. As valuable as Daniel is upsetting all this other group of his governing officials for this exile, it's just not worth it. And we know that that's what's going on because as soon as the table is turned and something of God has happened that nobody can deny, he immediately reverses the law. <laughs> and he takes him right out and throws the other guys in. And so the issue is not so much his power. I think it's his, what he thinks he's going to look like and retaining his power before these people that have agreed against him. And so he does. In fact, take Daniel in verses 16 and 17. The king commands... He brings him and casts him into the den of lions. And the king declares to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And with that commendation, he is lowered into the darkness, and he is in the lion's den. The details of this passage are important because it says they take a stone, and they put a stone over the opening of this den, and they seal it which means there's not another way out. So any, any den that I've ever been in that's sealed is pitch black on the inside. It's dark. And he's in there with these wild beasts, and it says that they seal this thing closed in verse 17. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing may be changed. You get this idea of this wax seal and this closure and the king putting his imprimatur on it and then all of those that hated him so much coming and literally signing his death warrant. What, a, what an incredibly wicked group of people knowing that you have intentionally entrapped someone and caused their death and that you're there to make sure you sign the death warrant so that this guy never gets out again so that you might have a greater political position. That is evil and that is what is happening in this situation. But in the darkness, we have this glorious thing happen. We're told the next day that, angel, that Daniel calls out that the Lord sent his angel to deliver me. I envision this scene similar to the scene with Peter imprisoned in Acts chapter 12 where he's chained between the guards and it says an angel appeared. And in the darkness of that prison cell, the light shone round about and Peter is awakened and delivered from this prison cell and the glory of the idea of an angel sent from God in the midst of a den of lions breaking into the darkness and shining round about with enough authority and fear to hold at bay these wild beasts that have been intentionally made hungry so they're going to eat whatever gets thrown in there but they will not touch Daniel as the angel of the Lord stands next to him it reminds me of an important verse I believe in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul not in a dissimilar situation is standing before a council the the mob at Ephesus and he is accused and seems to be overrun and it says in verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Many times in the lives of great Christians, they have stood alone. We all like to stand together with others, but there will be times when we stand alone. Daniel stood alone. Paul was standing alone in the midst of this angry mob. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message, 
Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So, it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. It's a powerful passage. Paul is recounting to the church that he stood alone, but he was not alone because the Lord stood with him. And when the Lord stood with him, he was strengthened to, instead of folding or being overrun, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a figurative sense, he is delivered from the lion's mouth. And it's something that goes back to thinking about Daniel, a person being alone but not really being alone. And every Christian should remember this, that we are seen by the eye of the Lord. And that though we may feel very alone at certain times, we are not alone. And though you may have to stand all by yourself physically in some great time or through some great difficulty, the Lord has not forgotten us and stands with us. And the key question that Darius asked is answered. What is the key question? Verse 20, the next day. Has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? Is your God able to do what you say that he will do? And the answer is yes. God is able to deliver his people from trials and hardships according to his will. It's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter of faith. Hebrews eleven thirty three. who by faith stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel, in his faith and believing in God, the Lord comes alongside him, sends an angel to protect him, and he is delivered with no harm from this lion's den. I agree emphatically with John Calvin when he writes this from many, many centuries ago. Not only is our life under God's protection, but nothing can injure us while he directs everything by his will and pleasure. And this principle ought to be extended to the devils themselves and to put impious in, and to impious and wicked men. For we know the devil to be always anxious to destroy us like a roaring lion. For he prowls about seeking whom he may devour. As Peter says in his first epistle, For we see how all the impious plot for our destruction continuously, and how madly they are inflamed against us. But God, who can close the lion's mouth, will also both restrain the devil and all the wicked from hurting anyone without his permission. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. That God is that in control of the situation in your life. That he is watching over you in a way that is as described in the Bible as a hedge being put around someone. That's how it describes Job, a hedge around him. That no one can come at him unless the Lord allows it to happen. None of us would desire suffering to come into our life or hardship. But sometimes and often, I would say, the Lord does allow suffering and hardship to come into our life. And that's another sermon for another day. But he also at times throughout history has delivered his people from death in miraculous ways, ways that are not explicable in any other way than the hand of the Lord upon somebody. I've read and you have read many of these examples in history, but they keep getting closer because I also have friends, friends that I know have stood upon IEDs in the battlefield and they didn't blow up even though afterwards they knew through diagnostics that someone was trying to detonate it while they were standing on it. I've had friends that have had premonitions while in the gun turrets of, of Hummers feeling just compelled that they must duck. And as they duck and just get under the rim of the armor, the, the Humvee hits an IED and it flips it over and lands right on its top and they would have been dead or maimed if they had not ducked at that exact instance that they felt the Lord was calling them or pressing them to duck. 
parachutes opened that shouldn't have opened, that should have died and didn't die and give the glory to God. And then it gets even closer in my own life. And many of you have heard this story, and I'll just abbreviate it very, very briefly. But there was a time when Maria and I were just after our engagement that we had a malfunction in a small sailboat, and we ended up stranded in the open ocean. And we're just the two of us, the boat long gone. Um, it, it swam as far as we could, and we could not reach the shore. And we were not anywhere close to reaching the shore. And it was just the two of us bobbing in the water. And it was at that time that we were reminded of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, to give your anxieties to the Lord and with thanksgiving make known your request to God. And that's what we did on that day. Uh, as the day was growing dark and the end of the day was coming and we were facing going out into the open ocean uh, and certain death, we asked God to spare us on that day. And when we finished praying, the last scuba boat of the day, and by the way, I've ne I go to that ocean area all the time. I've never seen a scuba boat in that area ever again in my life. But it came right across us in the midst of the ocean. If you've been in the ocean, it's a very large place. And you can easily uh, miss people, especially two people bobbing in the water. But this boat picked us up as an answer to prayer, and we were drawn out of the water, and we were saved. And to this day, I earnestly believe that the Lord spared our lives according to his divine pleasure, that we might go on. And it's part of what drives me to continue to do what I do today, to preach the gospel to you, that the Lord God is real, and that as it says here in this book, that he is able to deliver his people from death. Amen. But I also want to remind you that the purpose of the Lord, two things in closing, that there have been others that were put before lions that were not delivered. If you know much about martyrs in the early Roman period, if I was a, a Roman Christian put into the Colosseum with a lion before me, if there was any story of the Bible that I would be thinking about, it would be this story. God, deliver me from this wild beast. And yet they were not. They were killed. And so what are we to say about this? We have to remember what we talked about and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego some weeks passed, where they stood before Nebuchadnezzar in this fiery furnace, and they said this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so they entrust themselves to God in the same way that Daniel entrusted himself to God. That God will be the good and final arbiter of these things. If it is God's will to deliver me now, may he be glorified in his deliverance. But if it is his will to take me home to be with him now, then I will gladly go and be with him in glory. Because the final thing that we must understand from this passage today is that the purpose of the deliverance and redemption of the Lord is not a temporary holding off of death. The sending of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world was that death might be overcome fully and that we might not fear death at all. And that every person that comes to faith in Christ and every person that bows their knee and confesses their sins and believes in Jesus Christ as Lord, that they might all be like Daniel and like other Christians that know their fate in Christ Jesus, that they do not fear death.
because they know that if they are to be burned up in that furnace or be eaten by that lion or the parachute doesn't open or the IED goes, does go off or we're not plucked out of the sea, where are we going? We're going to be with the Lord. And that's where I want to be. And through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, we need not fear death. And so we give our anxieties to the Lord and we trust him with the future. We believe in him and we love him. We live for him. And each and every day we lay down our lives for him. And so I would ask you this morning in closing, do you have this faith and devotion of Daniel? Is your life characterized by a steady, constant, courageous love of Christ Jesus that drives out the fear of death because when you look at all of the struggles and things that are coming at you from the world, you know that they're in the hands of God. And so you submit yourself to the authorities around you and you do the very best that you can and always submitting your life to Christ Jesus because you are prepared for death. Are you prepared for death, my friend? Are you ready for your final day? If you are to stand before the Lord today, do you know that you'll be forgiven of your sins through the grace of Christ Jesus on the cross? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and for this time together. We love you. We thank you for this tremendous story that is recorded for us. And we pray, God, for the faith of Daniel. I pray first for every person here that has not fully put their faith in you. Lord, they are exploring the things of Christ Jesus and they are hearing about the things of Christ Jesus but they have not yet believed these things they have not yet surrendered their life to Jesus Christ our Lord I pray that today would be the day that they believe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven of our sins and that we can have eternal life through the life of Jesus Christ I pray that today would be the day that they believe in these things and I pray for every person here that is a Christian and is struggling with the issues of their life and the, the struggles of the day, whether it be children or employment or health or marriage or whatever it may be, I pray that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ and that we would be a people that have a steady and constant devotional life, coming to the scriptures, bowing our knees in prayer, asking for God to direct the steps of our life, entrusting ourselves to God, not fearing the future and asking for God to make a way. And Lord, I pray that you would answer every prayer and that you would make a way for your people that we might rejoice and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.